It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. First, a reminder from the Premier about our provincial border, as there was a lot of discussion in the past week or so about when and if and would we ever close our provincial border to Canadians from elsewhere. A reminder of Mr. Horgan's sentiments here on this matter. We're looking at those plans, but we have no uh, plan at this point to implement them. But we are preparing. And uh, again, I've talked to uh, premiers across the country and I encourage them as I encourage the prime minister to tell people to stay where they are. If you don't need to be coming to British Columbia, you shouldn't come to British Columbia. We will welcome you uh, when the pandemic has subsided, but you're not welcome today. Well, there you go. That's Family Day. And, of course, we actually took a while to sync up our Family Day with provinces across the rest of the country. Christy Clark had the right idea and the wrong day. So once we got that all squared away, yes, typically on a Family Day, on a nice long weekend, families would get together and possibly join from province to province and go skiing in a place like Invermere or Fernie or somewhere like that. Uh, So let's talk about that, our B.C. border, along with our national border because of... As of this morning, travelers crossing from the states up into Canada at land border points must provide proof of a negative COVID-19 PRC test taken in the past 72 hours. And uh, we'll talk to Dr. Kelly Lee right now. Dr. Lee is with us uh, from her job leading the Pandemics and Borders Project based at Simon Fraser University. It's an international team of researchers analyzing the use of cross-border measures during the pandemic. Dr. Kelly Lee, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, Sterling. And happy Family Day to you too, Doc. Thank you very much. Let's talk a little bit about this border business because the rules have changed over the weekend and we now have to provide tests. Is this a good addition to the border security? It's a good addition. It's one of yet another you know, measure that we need. Um, it's not enough, I have to say. So if you think about these tests are taken um, within 72 hours, that's that's fine um, that you may be testing negative. But we know that you have to sometimes test several times before the virus is detected in your system. Mm -hmm. You might already be infected, but the test doesn't show that. You can have false negative results on the test. And you could be exposed during those 72 hours while you're either driving across um, the U.S. or going back to your resort, you know, and, and lying on the beach. There's lots of ways that you can still be exposed. And we're hearing also there's reports of a, a thriving black market in those counterfeit test results. So you, you can get sort of fake tests as well. So it's not, um, you know, foolproof by any means. It has to be one of a number of measures that needs to be put in place. Indeed. We're talking to talk to the folks at the Better Business Bureau, Dr. Lee, a little later on in the program about vaccine scams, because there are a few of those already out there. I was not aware, and thank you for bringing this up, because I've just made a note of it and added to my list of a fake, a fake test result documents that's yeah. uh, that's a new twist and it's, of course if there's money to be made the bad guys will find a way to make it won't they that's right you know unfortunately there's always people out there who will try and make money off of this um this pandemic and this is another example so we have to make sure we have you know really tight uh checks that we we you know put into place a number of things so that people can't you know unknowingly 
or knowingly, who, who knows, um, use these sorts of ways to get through the border. We started, uh, Dr. Lee, with a quote from Mr. Horgan talking about an, an, an issue that you have talked about here on CKNW already, uh, and the matter of closing our borders. And here it is, Family Day. And on Families Day in previous years, um, we have seen families, and I mentioned this, getting together, say, for half the family from Alberta, half of them from B.C., they meet up in the Okanagan or uh, in uh, Revelstoke or and a good ski place and a good family. That's not happening right now. And Mr. Horgan is right on the edge of his seat in terms of closing the border to anyone for any reason. How ready should we be in B.C. to cut off the rest of the world? Yes, that's a horrible way of putting it. And I know in a normal time, you know, we think that was... Well, it's unthinkable, really. You know, of course, we have family across the country, across the world, and we all want to see our family. Uh, But at this time, the less that people can travel outside of their local area, and we're even being told, you know, stay at home, uh, move around as as little as possible, um, limit your travel to essential travel. That goes um, in terms of local, uh, provincial, national, international travel. So the less we move about, the less the virus gets to be moved about as well. And Indeed. It, 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 you know, most of us are doing that. Um, there's still a small number who um, are not doing that, and they may think that they're traveling for central reasons, and that may be true. But also, some people, I guess, are, are a bit fed up. They, they miss their family, they miss their friends. So that's when um, Premier Horgan perhaps needs to create more incentives, really, for those small number of people who still feel that they they, they need to travel. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Henry had a, had a really good point this weekend heading through Valentine's and into Family Day. Uh, Mother Nature definitely provided a great deal of assistance to your point, Dr. Lee, that uh, the best solution to uh, a family day here in B.C. and dealing with this and knocking this COVID business down is stay exactly where you are. That That's right. The snow has helped. Um, but, you know, really it's about thinking how we can stop these new variants, first of all, coming into the country, because we know they are coming in. We have uh, clear data to show that new variants are linked to travel. Most cases have been brought in by travelers, uh, and we're seeing now um, worrying signs of community transmission in many provinces. Um, All provinces now have cases of these new variants. So they didn't come here by themselves. Exactly. Across the border. Mm -hmm. Um, So we need to make sure that we stop bringing new variants or any any uh, infections into the country. And then we can focus on really trying to get the uh, cases down within the community. So we need to do, you know, multiple things at once. And it's very difficult. So if we just stop the cases coming in, that will make it a lot easier for our, our um, teams at the local level to, to fight the virus. Indeed, and I know you've got to go in only a few seconds to answer this question, but can you see down the road, Dr. Lee, a point where we can all agree, and it's a planetary agreement, on some kind of vaccine passport, some kind of document that you can provide anywhere at any time that says you've had the jab, you're good to go? That may be possible. At the moment, unfortunately, it cannot because we don't know how long immunity lasts. We don't know how infectious people are with the vaccine. So we're, over time, we should know that more. And then more people can obviously will have the vaccine and will be able to, to do that. So we're heading towards that slowly, but people still have to be patient, unfortunately. Well, that's right. There's a lot of uh, self-discipline and keeping a low profile. It's, it's not done yet. And it's, it's trying on the patience, isn't it? That's right. I know it's deferred gratification, but we, we've gone through a year of this. We don't want to put all of that hard work at risk 
by, you know, um, starting to open up too soon. So You're absolutely right. Really, we need to all still pull together. Yeah. Dr. Kelly Lee, thanks for this. Great to have you on the program with that uh, excellent reminder this morning. And off you go to the rest of your day, and happy Family Day to you again. Happy Family Day, Sterling. It, thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. There's Dr. Kelly Lee from the Pandemics uh, and Borders Project up at Simon Fraser University. Many families are hitting the slopes this Family Day. Uh, we've seen listener uh, increases of clusters of COVID cases in some ski communities too. And in some cases, and I'm thinking Big White and Worcester most specifically, we've seen uh, cases in uh, large clusters of staff members. And of course, in some of those resort communities, staff live in quite close quarters and uh, the results of which are negatively seen in some of these outbreaks. Now, skiing itself, of course, is a fantastic sport. I've been doing it since I was five. And as the premier reminded us just a few days ago, uh, it's certainly not a dangerous activity at all it's not the activity of skiing that's the problem uh, that is perhaps among the safest things you can do uh, with your mask on and your helmet on swooshing down the hill uh, clearing your head uh, getting physical activity uh, being uh, emotionally recharged the challenge is after you come down the hill what do you do from there we're encouraging people and have been for some time now Enjoy your day on the hill, the closest hill you can get to from home, and then go home. That's Premier Horgan. And, of course, what he's talking about is a messaging from the uh, Ministry of Tourism, Arts, Culture, and Sport uh, to various uh, ski resorts and to all of us, basically, essentially talking about the, what the Premier was saying. When it's après ski time, go back to your chalet. It's not time to go out for dinner and dancing, as is usually the case on a ski weekend off. The uh, liberal uh, tourism critic, Teresa Watt, who's going to join us here in a second, uh, has pointed out in the Vancouver Sun that the, the public health messaging, uh, as correct as it might be, doesn't really appear to be getting through to the people that it is intended for. Teresa Watt joins us now. She is the BC critic for tourism, arts and culture, and is also the MLA for Richmond North Centre. Good morning, Teresa. Happy Family Day. Good morning, Sterling. Happy Family Day and also Happy Lunar New Year, because uh, Lunar New Year lasts for, if not one week, Sometimes it lasts for one, one month for the Asian community. Indeed. It's the year of the ox. Did you have a great uh, feast over the weekend? Oh, because I live alone, so I have a feast of my own. Uh, for anybody who lives on your own, your bubble is only one to two people. So sure. I try to be safe. And I try to have as much decoration in my home and have a lot of Zoom meetings with my constituency, with my friends. So I can still enjoy uh, Lunar New Year and also Valentine's Day and also Friday Day. Exactly. Now, let's talk a little bit about the messaging from the ministry for which you are critic. And that's the they're they're aiming the target audience in terms of the messaging for the ski crowd. Teresa is the young skiers, and they're the ones that like to go and ski all day. And unlike those of us who also like to go and ski all day, they have the energy left to go party all night. (laughs) And (laughs) and, uh, they that's just not on. And somehow or another, that part of the messaging needs to be improved upon in order to get because they're just not paying enough attention or are you satisfied that it is 
Actually, I have to give shout out to the ski industry. Um, the as you said, the tourism ministry made the announcement on Friday. Given that family day was coming over the weekend, sure. Even though the government hasn't really provided funding for this education and uh, advertisement campaign, but the Canada West Ski Areas Association, together with six uh, ski resort municipalities, they are doing a blitz. They are putting out website, they are doing a digital campaign. And I think this is really a good start to educate the skiing, uh, young people especially, and also the uh, ski resort uh, employees to let them know that there's a reason for this season. If they don't abide by the health orders, there won't be a skiing season. So I think that's a good start. But having said that, I was reading the media report last week. Uh, so far, um, there have been um, quite a, a number of tickets that have been handed out to the general public for abridging this uh, health orders. On ski it's hills? A, uh, no, not on ski hills. It's just in general. Okay, in sure. Mainland. Yep. There's a total of 352,000 fines handed out. But you know how much people uh, have paid? They only pay 42,000. That means only 12% of the COVID-19 fines have been paid. A right. lot of people are going to this bill. Over 50% of the people who receive the tickets are waiting for the court case. It's like the traffic fines. Yes. That means that they are not, you know, thinking that they are uh, contravening the health orders. So from that figures, I can kind of tell that that might not be affected by dishing out fines. That's why I suggested to Vancouver Sun over the weekend that maybe it's time for the public safety minister to consider whether there will be stronger enforcement. Otherwise, we'll lose our skiing season. I don't think we want to lose the skiing time. Just look outside, even in Richmond, I can see all the white snow and so tempting to go to, you know, the ski resort town because as the premier said, Skiing is really healthy for us. We should go outdoor and it's good for us mentally and also physically. But then we shouldn't gather together after skiing. Yeah. After skiing, we should just go home. Uh, as simple as that. And, yeah. and, and so you're, you're interested, though, in, in, in the, 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 the problem arises at the end of the ski day and when people don't go home. And so are you suggesting, because you mentioned the Minister of Public Safety, Teresa, uh, yes. are you suggesting then that the sort of enforcement that we're seeing in restaurants and other establishments here in Metro Vancouver uh, with the uh, bylaw officers and others writing tickets for obvious lawbreakers, that that sort of enforcement be brought to the ski resort? as well? Uh, well, first of all, we have to look at the statistics that are coming out from this long weekend because today is still the long weekend. Sure. Today is family day. Mm-hmm. I think tomorrow, once Dr. Henry and the health minister announce the figures to see whether the COVID-19 cases have been leveling down, but so far it seems to be uh, doing quite well. Whistler, we used to have over 500 cases, but now it's down to double digits. And I think in um, white, uh, big white, big white uh, yes. ski resort, I think it's down to one case only. Mm-hmm. So we have to look at the family day long weekend, whether it will spike up again. If uh, we are still on the trend of leveling down, that we might not consider strong enforcement. But 
if the cases have not come down and on the contrary have gone up, yeah. I do think that the public safety minister has to take immediate action. We just cannot just wait and see because this is this is a pandemic. We cannot afford to wait. Yeah, you got a point. And, and of course, we have been, and uh, we're tracking those numbers very carefully here at uh, CKNW, as you might expect. Yes, uh, and, yeah. and the trend is down. That We are. The curve is definitely pointing in a downward direction. So, yes, after this uh, Family Day long weekend, uh, it'll be very interesting to see the numbers. And we did have, uh, Teresa, I know you got to run, but we did have some help, as Dr. Henry said we would uh, before the weekend. Uh, Mother Nature kind of stepped in and slowed things down a whole lot around Metro. Vancouver and especially on Vancouver Island. So that alone is probably going to be turn out to be a, a helpful thing. Yes, yes, for sure. So hopefully uh, we won't see a spike and we don't have to take any drastic action and just wait and see. Okay, Teresa Watt, thank you for this. We appreciate your time on Family Day. We, uh, we're, we're grateful for it. Thank you so much for having me. Enjoy the rest of your day. Shall do. There's Teresa Watt, the BC Liberal critic for Tourism, Arts and Culture, the MLA, for Richmond North Centre. Joined by animal rights lawyer Rebecca Bretter. Rebecca, good morning. Happy Family Day to you. Good morning, Sterling. Happy Family Day to you, too. It's great to have you back on the show. Uh, uh, The headline in the Sun, BC Enviro Group challenges the legality of shooting wolves from aircraft, and I I need to clarify only one thing. This is done. Sure. This this shooting of wolves is done by contractors or conservation uh, ministry personnel. This is not something that happens in other jurisdictions, Rebecca, where sportsmen and I put that word in big fat quotes get to get to fly around in choppers shooting animals on the ground for fun and trophies. That is not what's going on in British Columbia. It's the annual wolf cull that we're talking about, right? It is the wolf call, but let's get something straight too, Sterling, is that the contractors, don't be fooled thinking that these are highly trained professionals who who know exactly what they're doing. These are civilian contractors who don't have nearly the amount of experience necessary. And not only that, just think about it logically. You have a moving aircraft, being a helicopter in this case, Mm -hmm. trying to target shoot a moving animal from a distance, a wolf in this case. Mm -hmm. How safe can that be and how accurate can that be? We say neither. And it is absolutely ridiculous that the government is allowing this to happen. Now, just so you know, Sterling, the lawsuit itself, the caption that you read, uh, we're talking about a lawsuit that I'm counsel on for uh, Pacific Wild, Mm -hmm. uh, an amazing animal, uh, a wildlife and environmental protection organization here in British Columbia that we're so lucky to have. And what we're saying in, so we're dealing with the wolf call specifically. We're not talking about the average uh, Joe who's going out to trap wolves, although I take huge issue with that alone, but perhaps that's a conversation for tomorrow that I may be having with with Mike Smith uh, and and Jesse Zeman on the show. But this lawsuit, just so you know, what we're targeting is the unlawfulness of the legislation and the permits that are being issued. And what we're saying is that, so we know that the wolf call is happening by helicopter, and they're sniping wolves from moving helicopters. And what the Wildlife Act 
has said is that under the regulations, you're not allowed hunting wildlife from a helicopter. So when we started our petition or lawsuit, that's what the regulations said. Now, uh, because the government, I'm sure, knows that we're right, decided to amend the regulations to allow, to purportedly, I should say, purportedly allow the shooting of wolves via helicopter. But what we say is even with these new amendments, these amendments are shoddy at best. Our legal argument is still extremely strong because one of the things that the regulations also say and that the Wildlife Act specifically says that it's only cabinet, meaning that the head people of our government who can make regulations that prescribe conditions when aircraft can be used for hunting. Essentially, it's only our top officials are elected government officials, cabinet, that can make these regulations about when, why, where, and those types of uh, questions, when can an aircraft be used. So conditions have to be spelled out. The current regulations, and I appreciate the government may have their own take on this, but the current regulations do not set out what those conditions are. So as of today, still, these regulations fly in the face of what of what proper wildlife management needs to look like in this province. Not to mention that these regulations also fly in the face of our federal aviation security laws, which very explicitly do not allow and prohibit the access and carrying of a loaded firearm on, on an aircraft. On an aircraft. Yeah, exactly. And what do we see here? is that we're seeing the exact thing that's prohibited under federal law happening. Now, that said, that begs the question, well, are there exceptions when a loaded firearm can be accessed and carried onto an aircraft? Yes, there are exceptions under federal law. Sure. None of which apply to a wildlife call and a wolf call specifically in British Columbia. Yeah, but you point out, Rebecca, that the government has the power locally to give uh, to adjust those regulations to suit its needs. And in this case, they're not hunting. And I'm, I'm trying to, uh, being devil's advocate here, yeah, trying to present the government case in which they would say, we're not hunting. This is not sport. This is uh, this is a predator cull to maintain population levels of the central British Columbia caribou population. It's a it's an annual thing. We need to do it to maintain the balance of nature. Nobody's hunting. Well, great effort, Sterling. I applaud you for your effort, but quite frankly, you're just plain wrong, period. <laughs> and that's because the legislation uh, defines what hunting is and what is going on here fits precisely within the definition of hunting, which includes chasing, shooting at, capturing an animal. Mm -hmm. You can't get away from that legal definition. But let me just say this, too, is that when it comes under the supposed protection of caribou, which is what you mentioned now, right, that it's not hunting, it's that it's preservation, that is such a load of BS, and don't get me started on that, because the real, the real culprit in all of this it's not the wolves. The wolves are an apex predator, which means that they're at the top of the food chain mm-hmm. who have lived in harmony with wildlife for centuries since the beginning of time. 
The real culprit here is human activity. It's industrial resource extraction, mainly forestry. It's habitat modification, fragmentation because of road building. And all of that is having an effect on critical habitat that the caribou depend on. And our government, both BC and the federal government, they're not getting away from this either. They have done a terrible job, to say the least, in doing what matters most, which is protecting the habitat of this endangered species and and allowing what's actually decimating caribou to happen. It's not the wolves. It's, it's our own activity. So instead of, you know, making sure that we're not clear-cutting old-growth forests, that we're not allowing snowmobile and heliskiing in critical habitat, we need to control those activities before we start shooting wolves from helicopters on, you know, some romantic idea that we're trying to save caribou. Uh, how about a court date? I know this is just in the, uh, in the inception stage, but uh, it's clearly got some legs. Uh, will there be any kind of um, uh, court date at all, Rebecca? I've only got a minute oh, here, but what, what do absolutely. you anticipate? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're, we're trying to find a court date. It's been extremely hard. I mean, our BC system, is it, it's all ready to get a court date, generally speaking, and then you bring in a global pandemic. Yeah. So there's, there's a huge backlog. So yeah, we're waiting to get a court date, and oh. we hope to get one soon. And is there a website where people who are interested in supporting your efforts or opposing them can at least go and learn more? Of course. Uh, I strongly urge people to go to the Pacific Wild website, and you could learn all about our uh, wolf call, uh, anti-wolf call efforts, I should say, on that website, and and many more issues there as well. Uh, So Google Pacific Wild, friends. Rebecca Bretter, great to speak to you again. Thanks for taking some time out of your family day to uh, straighten us out a little bit on this wolf call business. My absolute pleasure. Thank you very much, Sterling. There's animal rights lawyer Rebecca Bretter on The Mike Smith Show. It's a good day to talk about scams. Why? Because it's always a good day to talk about scams. There are just too many of them going on. Uh, Between the three phones we have in our house, the house landline, which is, I know, kind of old school, but I use it for recording purposes, and our two cell phones, we average four to five calls every day. We never answer them. They go directly to voicemail, and uh, many of them aren't even in English. But we get an average of four to five calls a day. Uh, And so these are just random calls from bad guys hoping that we will pick up and somehow or another slip up and give them what they want, which is our personal information. And with that in mind, and with COVID-19 vaccinations now underway, however slowly we are starting to see, especially online, uh, especially coming out of the UK and the United States, where more people are being vaccinated. Well, well, a lot of people get, get the big jab, as they call it in the UK, and they run home and put a shot of themselves getting their needle on Facebook or Instagram or wherever. Look at me. I got my shot. Yay. I'm finally safe. Okay. That's fine. What other people are doing, however, is putting their vaccination certificates online. Hey, there's me. I've got my shot and here's my proof. That 
is not a recommended move. Here to talk about why and other things bad guys count on us to slip up and do regularly is Carla Laird. Carla is the manager of community and public relations with Vancouver's own Better Business Bureau. Carla, good morning. Happy Family Day to you. Good morning. Happy Family Day to you and your listeners. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, it's good to have you with us, Carla. Unfortunately, it's for the wrong reason again. Always. It's me, uh, but it's it's uh, it's so good to have you uh, available to us to talk about this. What are the dangers, for, uh, for example, of me being super duper enthusiastic about getting my shot and I want to show the world, here's my proof. So I put a picture of me or, or a, a solo shot of my vaccine certificate, which some people get when they get their jab. What's wrong with putting that online? Well, the challenge with that is that we don't control who sees that vaccination card once it's posted. And so you run the risk of sharing a lot of self-identifying information with people who are likely to take advantage of that and put yourself at risk of of, of being exposed to identity theft. So that's one issue. And then the other issue is also because of the fact you can't control who sees it, maybe a scammer is seeing that vaccination card. They have an idea of what the authentic vaccination card looks like. And based on the trends that we're seeing in the UK and now starting to see in the US, scammers are duplicating these cards and selling them on social media sites like um, eBay and TikTok. So, yeah, we definitely have to look out for that because now when they have that kind of information, they can use it to take advantage of other people who may not be as savvy as you are. So there's two things that could happen by posting your uh, vaccine certificate online. A, they could get the personal information about you that right. that they're looking for, or they could take that picture of your vaccination certificate, blank out your name and your information, and insert whatever whoever else's information they wanted to. Exactly. And that's the risk that you, you, you create, especially when it comes to them duplicating it because of the fact that we're, we're using these cards to have a better sense of who's been vaccinated and how best we can reduce the spread of COVID-19. If sure. anyone has created their own card and is walking around unvaccinated, it puts so many people, especially your loved ones, at risk. And we can't afford for that to happen. And uh, we, we don't have, that's just a curiosity question here, Carla, because I'm not sure how we handle it in BC. I'm nowhere near uh, the top of any priority list for becoming vaccinated. I expect, I'm hoping to get my jab by Canada Day, but I'll be happy if it happens by Labor Day. So I'm way down the list. But right. as, as more and more of us do get vaccinated in British Columbia, do you know, Carla, if the, the recipient of the jab gets a, a document, a card of some kind saying, yep, I've had my shot. So what we do know is that your full vaccination record is going to be stored on a provincial database sure. where, you know, all that detail will be there and they'll have details like your name, your date of birth, details about the vaccination that you took and when you took that vaccination. Mm-hmm. So all of that will be there. But at the same time, you do have the option of getting a physical card. So it's not a a must receive, but if you want to take one, you are allowed to print it offline or you might get it in your hand after you've done your vaccination. Ah. So that is an option for you. But if you are taking that option, you must bear in mind that if you're going to be keeping that document, you need to keep it safe and also reduce the, the, the risks of scams and being exposed to kinds of scams by sharing that detail on social media. Oh, uh, yes. And social media is where most of the damage gets done, isn't it? Yes. 
we, we've been seeing an increase in just vulnerability to social media scams. It's a new platform for a lot of people still, even though so many of us have different accounts on whether it's Instagram or Facebook or these days TikTok and Twitter. Sure. But there's so many people that still aren't familiar with how these platforms work or how to safely navigate these platforms. And so even things like ads popping up with things for sale, you see these things, the, the, they look legitimate, they're taking you to sites when you click on different links, but at the same time, some of those sites that they're taking you to or some of these profiles that even exist on these social media platforms are fake. And yeah. so many people still can't distinguish what's a good deal from what's not a good deal or what's a legitimate site or a legit, le- legitimate profile of versus a fake one. And so until those areas are covered and people have a better sense of what is real from what is not, we're going to be seeing more of these kinds of scams. And of course, those who are likely to be least familiar with internet technology and all of these various social media platforms and how to dance through them and around them and so on, those who are least likely to get it are the oldest people in our midst. That is true. And they are the ones who are getting their shots first. So so these will be the people uh, who will be as happy as anybody else in Canada to finally have their shots who might want to celebrate in some way or another. And the bad guys can't wait, can they? Yeah. Yeah, so that's right. You've 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 highlighted a few things. So the fr- the fact that our seniors are the ones that are most vulnerable, um, we've also seen where they're most vulnerable on on, on specific platforms like Facebook because it, uh, it facilitates conversation, dialogue. Because you're used to seeing longer posts being being submitted, people sharing very personal details on Facebook, sure. participating in different um, favorite top 10 trivias and that kind of thing. It's very interactive. And so it facilitates that age group a lot more. Right. And so that's where we are actually seeing a lot of these scams perpetrating. And, so and, that's uh, one of the things we did that we definitely have picked up. And a lot of that, Carla, comes from the fact that during the pandemic, particularly, a lot of people who are isolated and uh, incapable of getting around too quickly and who are following public health orders to stay home anyway, have discovered, many of them for the first time, many of them in their 70s and 80s, have discovered Facebook and other ways to connect to the rest of the world that they've become quite isolated from. Exactly. And so when you see a lot of our seniors signing up on Facebook or even more recently, we've seen even just signing up for dating apps and dating websites and Mm -hmm. dating services. They're utilizing all of these different channels because, as you rightfully said, COVID-19 has really limited our ability to interact. And so in order to establish and maintain those connections, we've turned to a lot of virtual or online platforms and streams to try and get or, or I suppose, maintain that connection with the rest of the world. But as, as we've been discussing, especially now with, you know, Valentine's just behind us and all these different things that are still in existence, sure. like COVID-19, we're still seeing where we're going to have to be warning our seniors and encouraging our seniors or even supporting them through navigating these processes because romance scams are still happening. Um, we're seeing where they're still being victimized when they ha- with, with different schemes, whether it's to pay for a COVID-19 vaccine with your credit card or to use a Google Play, Google Play gift card to pay for different things that you really shouldn't be paying for right. because of the fact that, you know, these are not legitimate ways that these organizations would be contacting you. So, yes, it's definitely a reality. And we have to make sure that we're protecting our seniors from 
who are our most vulnerable when it comes to scams. No question. It's why it's so important to have you on the radio with us this morning, Carla, because, uh, again, information is power. And the more we can help people to understand that even though this, this some of this new social media stuff is a blast and a great way to stay connected, and especially for people all over the country, all over the world, but there are pitfalls and it's not all hearts and flowers. And you do need to have your wits about you when you're on these platforms. Sterling, for Mike on Family Day, people who are over age 80 across our province are due to start receiving information about getting vaccinated any day now. And this, of course, is the group that is most frequently targeted by scammers. So what do we need to know and do to be careful in terms of vaccinations and scams? Carla Laird is here to help us through all of this. Carla is manager of community and public relations with the Better Business Bureau of Vancouver. And Carla, just as we head into the second half of this conversation, conversation. I spoke with Dr. Kelly Lee from Simon Fraser uh, earlier this morning. She heads up the Pandemics and Borders Project. And in the course of our conversation, she reminded us of yet another scam. Here it is. Hearing also there's reports of a a thriving black market in those counterfeit test results. So you, you can get sort of fake tests as well. How about that one? Have you heard about counterfeit test results, fake test cards? Yes, definitely. We've been seeing a few of those um, reports coming into our BBB scam tracker where um, victims are pretty much saying that they're getting calls mostly where they are being told that they can get test results if they want, if they don't want to, if they want to avoid taking the COVID-19 test, they can take this route. It will cost them a certain amount of money. And what they would have to do is either pay using a Bitcoin uh-huh. Um, pay by a Bitcoin or share their credit card details over the phone. We've had one person that actually um, paid well paid using a credit card and lost around three hundred dollars. But um, and of course there was no um, test results to be received. It was just a way to get them to share more, their credit card details over the phone. Uh-huh. And we saw where their credit card was used afterwards for a $300 transaction to set up a website um, that was now being u- utilized to as a scammer site. others. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yes, so so what, that's really what they do with your credit card details when they take them. What are they, what's the tab? What are they asking for these fake test uh, cards, negative test cards? So what they tell the, the victims from the reports that we're seeing is the fact that you might not want to do a COVID-19 test. They stress the fact that it's an uncomfortable process oh, okay. and, you know, to avoid that kind of hassle and discomfort, you can take this route where you can be offered this opportunity. And, you know, in a way, it, it, it is kind of twofold of a problem in the sense that, yes, there are people that may not realize that these are not legitimate representatives from our provincial health authorities sure. speaking to them. So that's one issue. Mm-hmm. But then there's also the fact that because they're playing into people's emotions, because the people are, are not 100% comfortable with COVID-19 tests and the, the whole concept of vaccination, there's still a lot of uncertainty among our, our British Columbians. And so they're riding on that and using that to take advantage of people, to take their, their details and their money. Well, it's, it's painfully obvious to us all that the proof 
of a negative COVID-19 test is going to be the ticket until we're all or the majority of us are vaccinated, Carla. Some proof of uh, of not having COVID, the test requirements now for getting on a plane and crossing the border that kick exactly. in in a day or two. So all the more reason for people to want to have uh, a certificate that says, no, I don't have COVID-19. How much is that going to cost me? A few hundred bucks? Where do I sign up? And that's what these scammers are counting on aren't they yes exactly and so when you have that in mind it's a little easier to understand why many people end up falling for these different cons and bruises that the scammers pick up and so it's it, it evokes sympathy but at the same time it does show us that we really need to be extra vigilant because there are still so many people who are so uncomfortable with the process and feel like the easiest way out is actually the best or even the correct way And so that's how they end up being victimized. Yeah. Carla, one of the new ones in the States is you get an email or a random phone call offering to bump you ahead in the line. If you know you just send us a few dollars, we'll guarantee you uh, a line. You you get your jab on on Wednesday at one o'clock. Just send us the money and show up at one o'clock and we'll have you there and we'll have your your shot and done like dinner. And of course, all they want is your money. Yes, we've actually seen the BBBs in the U.S. sharing those um, reports that they're getting from members of the public in that um, in that territory. Not happening here yet, can, right? Not yet, not yet, <laughs> thankfully. But at the same time, we do know that scams are pretty much not restricted to borders at all. And so it's only a matter of time before we start to see these kind of scams being perpetrated over our side of the border. So it's definitely something that we need to be aware of. You know, there is a process and you will receive your communication in the due course as it is based on, you know, the timelines and the schedules of who will be vaccinated and the order. So bumping up is also something that they're going to be utilizing to try and take advantage of people. Yep. There, are, there are people that want to just get this vaccination and be done with it. So yeah. they feel like they are a little more liberated. They don't have to worry. They have to be as anxious. And so when you have that opportunity or being presented to you, it's almost challenging to say no, especially if the person you're speaking to sounds legitimate. Mm-hmm. In some instances, they may have minor details about you already, which would give you a sense that you are actually speaking to someone who knows what they're doing. And so it's not hard for scammers these days to get someone's name. And based on how um how open you are with your personal information. They could have your name, they could have your email address, and they could have your your cell phone number, which is why they're even contacting and you. And your birthday you, from Facebook. And your birthday yep. from Facebook. Yep. So it's not hard for them to get enough details for you to feel like you're legitimately speaking to someone who has the authority to bump you up a, a few notches for whatever reason they come up with. Carla, if you get this call or this email and you know it just doesn't pass the smell test, it just does not feel right, what do you do? Do I call you at the Better Business Bureau or call the cops? Which, which should I do? So we would recommend that you report it to our provincial health authority because they need to be aware that these are the different scams that are being perpetrated to take advantage of the system that they're trying to implement. We would also recommend that you share it with us at BBB. You can go on our website to our BBB scam tracker. That's where a lot of victims are sharing their stories with us. And that's how we're all able to get the information to pass on to the provincial health authority and at the same time share it with members of the public just like how we're doing today. Carla, thank you very much for this. It's great to speak to you in a very timely conversation. And friends, that website again is bbb.org. Happy Family Day, Carla. Thanks. 
Thank you so much for having me. Take care. Looking at a headline that says why it might be best to avoid painkillers as a precaution before your COVID-19 vaccine. Of course, we're starting to hear as more and more humans around the planet get vaccinated about various side effects and this and that and the other thing. And some people have taken it upon themselves to, well, prescribe Tylenol. Well, I'll just take a few Tylenol. Then I'll go get my shot and everything will be fine. Then I can avoid side effects preemptively. Well, there's a professor at UBC who says that may not be a very good idea at all, and he's here with us now. He is Professor Mahiar at Minan, who is in the uh, Department of Ophthalmology and Medicine at UBC. Professor at Minan, good morning and welcome. And good morning. It's good to have you with us. And why, sir, is it not a good idea to self-prescribe Tylenol before getting your vaccination? Uh, well, we are not um, 100% sure uh, if it is a bad idea, but we do have some evidence from data with the flu vaccine in children where uh, when the children use these drugs um, on the day of the vaccination, um, some researchers um, did notice that the efficacy of the vaccine um, was blunted. Uh, and so um, based on that data, um, we there are recommendations uh, such as the group at the CDC in, in the U.S. Mm-hmm. where they recommend not taking these medications, uh, certainly not before vaccination and um, perhaps as late as possible with respect to the timing of the vaccination. Interesting, Professor. Do people, and I suppose it's a phenomenon that I'm completely unfamiliar with because in Canada we don't have a lot of data to, to, to use yet because not a lot of Canadians have been vaccinated. More Brits and more Americans have and more Israelis and various other countries. So uh, in terms of, of uh, other countries information that you're able to uh, to peruse uh, is it fairly common then that people do preemptively take something before they get their shot um i am not familiar with any specific data as to um what percentage of those who are vaccinated actually take these drugs beforehand but it's certainly uh plausible to think that there may be a considerable number given that these Drugs are freely available over the counter Mm -hmm, in pretty much most countries, and they are indicated for sort of your aches and pains and fever that may also happen with with the COVID vaccine or any vaccine. Now, we've read a fair bit uh, about side effects, and uh, some people, of course, when you, in in a population, for example, in the United States, you've got 350 million people to vaccinate. It's pretty much mathematically certain that you're going to have some some significant adverse adverse reactions based on that large population base. But in terms of the typical reaction to the COVID-19 vaccine of whichever variety, are you aware of any major negative side effects? Um, um, no. And again, this is based on uh, also the data that we have from the, the vaccine trials. Uh, most people will experience um, side effects that would uh, probably go away within 48 hours, and those are mostly fever, fatigue, uh, muscle pain. And again, those are the side effects that may warrant um, use of uh, 
drugs like acetaminophen or Tylenol or ibuprofen. Right. And sometimes, and it's certainly a fairly common uh, side effect after one receives a a, a shot of of any description, a vaccine, typically a flu shot, for example, there may be some soreness in the arm in which the shot was injected for a few hours. That's that's correct. And and that's usually um, not really related to the vaccine. It's probably related to the to the muscle injury that's that's kind of takes place uh, with the actual injection. So that's something that will, uh, you know, go away within a few hours and can be treated with even something like an ice pack. Okay. Now, one of the stories or one of the sub-headlines in this story that brought you to our attention in the first place says fever pills generally not recommended before vaccines. So uh, I, I, it's a two-part question, I guess, Professor. One being, uh, if you have a fever, you probably shouldn't get a vaccine in the first place. You should probably wait until you're you're calmed down a whole lot. And, and what a possible uh, combination chemically do fever pills represent as perhaps a threat to the vaccine. So yes, that's correct. If you if you do have a fever, you should not be receiving the vaccine. Okay. Uh, and um, so so the, again, the thought behind uh, why using these medications, especially prior to vaccination, may not be a good idea, uh, goes to um, again to the study that I mentioned earlier, where they. Um, gave these medications to children, and when they measured the level of antibody that was produced um, after these medications were used, um, they were shown to be much lower than the children who were not taking these drugs. And we believe that because these drugs um, prevent inflammation, and they're called anti-inflammatory, that that may also affect the inflammatory process that the body will uh, be sort of launching um, to you know in terms of production of antibodies, and that this anti-inflammatory action of these drugs may also affect that sort of antibody production, and that's why we think they may um, not be. Um, Um, sort of appropriate to use uh, right prior to the vaccination timing. Can we talk a little bit about kids, Professor Itminen? Because we are, uh, as I understand it, Pfizer and Moderna are both actively conducting trials now with humans under age 16 in large enough numbers to be able to assemble significant data. Uh, Are you aware of any uh, progress or any uh, metrics that could be uh, publicized yet regarding the uh, application of COVID-19 vaccine to persons under the age of 18? Uh, not right now. So the data we have are uh, only include uh, adults and they do not include um, children. Uh, but as you mentioned, there are trials underway right now mm-hmm. that are, are testing this sort of a demographic. And uh, uh, hopefully when the, d- the data is available, then we can take a look and you know uh, make a decision as to uh, their level of efficacy and, and safety of, of the vaccines uh, in children. Uh, as far as uh, postponing or perhaps there's a, 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 it's interesting when you look and we're going to talk to a pollster later in the hour about this. But it, when you look at popular opinion regarding receiving, are you going to get the vaccine or not? Most people, uh, about 60 to 70 percent say sure. And, and the rest of them are, are generally in the category of, well, there are two categories. No, absolutely not. Or, you know what? I'm going to wait and see how this plays out. Let a few million other people stand in line before me. 
And if everything's okay, when my turn comes, I'll take it. So uh, the public enthusiasm for taking the, the vaccine in Canada is still pretty high, isn't it? I think so. And again, um, you know, with 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 this pandemic um, uh, sort of uh, being the, being around for about a year, uh, I, I believe that the and, and the relative safety uh, of these vaccines, uh, they've been out for uh, at least a couple of months now yes. uh, in the UK and the US, and there have been very little um, serious side effects associated with the vaccine. So I think that data really helps uh, motivate more people people um, to go ahead and, and uh, get vaccinated. I suppose, uh, Professor Etmenen, the, the big challenge for your colleagues in the vaccine production end of science is going to be uh, keeping up to the variants that we're starting to see escalate around the world. Yes. And, and I hope uh, there doesn't come a time where we have to be you know, playing catch up with this virus where uh, once we are getting a good level of vaccinations uh, in the populations, we are fall, kind of faced with a new variant where we have to go back to the drawing board and make, come up with a new vaccine and always being, you know, playing catch up with this virus. I hope that doesn't happen. Um, uh, but, but you're correct that the, 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 you know, the variant um, sort of a situation is also concerning, but I think there is good data to suggest that um, the vaccines that we have now uh, would potentially also protect us against the variants. And with the new technology, the, the mRNA technology that uh, you know, where the Pfizer and Moderna have used to come up with these vaccines so quickly, uh, that is also encouraging to, to know that uh, they can probably do the same thing for the new variants. Well, I hope you're right. And, and we, all, we all have our fingers crossed. And I know scientists do go a, a, a lot further than that. But uh, in terms of the general population, we certainly hope you're right. Professor Mahiar Atminan, thank you very much for your time today. It's very reassuring and interesting to speak to you about uh, the vaccinations that we're all waiting ever so patiently to receive. Great. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure, sir. Happy Family Day to you. Yeah, you too. Bye-bye. Mario Canseco is joining us now on this Family Day. Good morning, Mario. Good morning. Uh, great to be here with you, Sterling. I saw this note from research company with the headline, Stealthy Thermostat Fiddling Continues in Some Canadian Homes. And I read that headline and I thought, I know who wrote that, the boss. <laughs> That's a very catchy headline. So tell us the story behind Stealthy Thermostat Fiddling in Canadian Homes. <laughs> Well, it's a question that we asked originally back in 2018. Uh, we were going through a very heavy patch of cold weather across the country, and we thought it was a good opportunity to ask people about uh, who minds uh, the situation related to the thermostat and the temperature at, at home. And now, because we've had a lot of cold weather again, we thought it was a good chance to see whether COVID-19 has affected this. Because one of the situations that we have now, which is different, is we're spending pretty much all of our lives inside our homes. We sure are. There's a lot of people who are no longer commuting. Uh, so you're more likely to notice when somebody's fiddling with a the thermostat. And we wanted to find out whether Canadians are noticing it and, and who's doing it more than others. Okay, so now, and that it has to include British Columbians, especially uh, given the past few days. And we were just talking with uh, Bobby Sakana at the, at the weather office about we didn't hit any all-time record low temperatures last week, Mario, but it got cold enough that the thermostat became a big deal. 
it got pretty serious. You know, one of the things that we noticed when we asked Canadians about the temperature in their homes is that uh, even though technically British Columbia doesn't have the same crazy winters that we see in other parts of the country, right. we're more likely to have the temperature a little bit lower or a little bit higher than the national average. Okay. So it's definitely a situation here where we're noticing this more, uh, but also and also using energy a little bit more than we used to before. We have 44% of British Columbians who say that their energy and heating use at home has increased over the past few weeks. Um, it drops to 40% in Alberta, and as you start to move east, uh, there's fewer people who are saying that they're relying on the juice as much as they used to before. So definitely something that we're noticing here more than in other parts of the country. So uh, now to what, bring in the stealthy part here. That's uh, the, the thermostat adjustment. We get that, and, and we know. Oh, and I also want to know what the what is the average, what is the consensus on a typical daytime and nighttime temperature, because I suspect they're different. Well, one thing that we wanted to know is who is in charge of this? And uh-huh. uh, this is really something that happened uh, because Valentine's Day was coming up. And I thought, well, it's a good opportunity to ask about how couples deal with something that is affecting them all the time. Sure. You know, we didn't want to ask about flowers or chocolates or, you know, what do you want to do once the COVID-19 pandemic is over? It's ultimately the temperature at home. We're spending a lot of time at home. Who is in charge of this? And there's 49% of Canadians who say uh, that it's an equal thing, that uh-huh. both partners are equally in charge of setting the thermostat, about where to put it or whether to change it or not. Uh, 26% say it's my responsibility alone. 23% say I leave it in the hands of my spouse and partner. Well, that sounds fantastic, of course. You know, there's half of us who say, let's talk about it and figure out whether it's 19, 20, 23 degrees. But what we see here is that 39% of Canadians say that they change the temperature at home without telling their spouse or partner Uh all of the time or most of the time. So there's half of us who say, sure, let's talk about it. But there's 40% of us who say, I'm going to switch it the moment you turn around. And that's pretty funny. That and, and now, who is more likely to be the stealthy switcher who's going to adjust the uh, temperature anyway? Well, it happens more often with women. They are more likely to be uh, fiddling with the thermostat, if you, be, uh, if you will, without telling their spouse or partner all the time or most of the time, 45%. So a little bit higher with women, 34% of men. So there's an 11-point difference in uh, women being more likely to say, yes, we're going to set it at 22 degrees, and then when the husband turns around, you're going to crank it up a notch. So definitely something that is happening more from women than men. And this is definitely a change from what we saw back in 2018. It was essentially the same. We saw not a lot of shifts when it came to gender on this particular question. But this year, for some reason, uh, there's definitely more women who are saying, I'm going to switch this when he's not looking. Okay. And finally, the consensus temperature. Is it 22? Is that what, what the national average turns out to be that we set our homes to in the daytime? It's essentially 21 or 22 degrees centigrade. We have 39% of Canadians who choose this temperature. There's 10% who have it at 23 centigrade or higher, Uh uh, which to me sounds a little bit too high. Uh, But there's also 33% who go to the lower end, 19 centigrade or or, uh, 20 centigrade. So usually 21, 22 is the place to go. Uh, Now we have a lot of um, really complex machinery out there. You can use your smartphone to handle the temperature at your home. So it's a little bit 
easier also to try to fiddle with this. If this is something that you have on your smartphone, you can switch it from the comfort of your sofa and uh, the spouse uh, will not be the wiser. Interesting stuff. Stealthy thermostat fiddling continues in some Canadian homes. All the details at researchco.ca and Mario Canseco's website is just full of good information. I wanted to talk to you about the vaccine rollout, but we'll just have to postpone that for a few more days. Thank you for this. Appreciate a few moments of your time and happy family day to you, Mr. Canseco. My pleasure. Happy family day to you too, Stern. Well, it is family day, and we have with us to uh, conclude the show today, Julie Romanowski, also known as Misbehavior. Julie is a parenting coach and consultant here in the greater Vancouver area. Happy family day, Julie. Happy family day, Sterling. Nice to talk with you again. On your website, you say, you ask the question that every parent goes, well, of course I do. You ask the question, (laughs) want your child to listen and behave better? (laughs) I have never heard a parent say, well, no, I don't think so. Mine's already too well behaved. So, So here we are on family day, and we all want our kids to listen and behave better. What's the secret? What's the trick? The secret and the trick, it's, it's, Pretty simple, actually. It's all about connection. And uh, anyone who knows me and follows me knows that I say that all the time, but it's, it's, it's a hard one to sort of swallow because people want an easy, quick answer. They want to have their kids listen the first time they say something, and unfortunately, it just doesn't work that way. We're not dealing with adults. Mm-hmm. We're dealing with kids and what they want, what they um, thrive in is a connection with us. And I don't mean just standing nearby each other. (laughs) We're physically connected. Maybe we're even, you know, hugging our kids and snuggling with them. It's that emotional connection, the heart-to-heart, the message, the tone that comes out of our mouths and out of everything we say and do as a parent that says to the child, you matter, Mm -hmm. you have value, and I want to be here with you. So as long as that's the underlining sort of message, That's where we start. That's when kids will listen more. They will be more respectful, and uh, you'll have definitely a better connection, better communication with your child or children. Yeah, indeed. We are an instant gratification society. If only there was a pill for that. If only we could buy Junior a a behavior pill, and it would be all better. I was thinking maybe a drive-through, you know? (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I I was wondering, uh, Julie, how important, based on what you just said in terms of the connection, how important is routine and repetition? It's very important as well um, because what that the whole point of routine is the predictability piece. Right. So if we always go to bed and do these things in our routine or when we wake up or as we get ready for a meal together, children can start predicting and they kind of, they kind of get really confident. They're like, yeah, yeah, I already know what's going on. And when they can do that and predict what's about to happen, they feel more secure. And same with us adults. That's why we're not doing well in this pandemic, mm-hmm. because we don't know what to expect. There is no pandemic routine. That's right. And that leaves us feeling more insecure, more anxious, overall just this unwell feeling. And that's what kids are experiencing on a regular basis because the world is still so new to them. Well, exactly. And, and you know, even though there's a million books on the subject, there's no such thing as the parenting manual. And there's certainly never been a pandemic parenting manual. No. And, and if moms and dads are feeling a little disconnected, a little disoriented, those feelings transfer down to the kids 
almost immediately. Absolutely. And that's another thing to bring forward is a lot of times kids look fine. You know, they're playing, they're doing their thing. But don't let that sort of kid you because they absorb energies. They absorb what's going on, whether they respond to it or not immediately or say, Mom, Dad, you're stressed. It's starting to affect me. (laughs) It actually is, even though they can't put words to it. So do be aware of your own energy, the feelings, how you express and react to everything going on. Because you've got little eyes watching you 24-7. That's right. And so rinse and repeat. We, we, we keep saying that, you know, almost facetiously. It's a throwaway line. But in terms of our children and the repetition, rinse and repeat matters big time, doesn't it? It sure does. And that's, I think, as adults, that's annoying, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, we've done this already. That, that's right. Same dog and pony show. But it is, it's not about us. It's about them. Repetition is how kids learn. So I'm not saying repeat yourself 20 times in a minute for them to go brush their teeth and or get ready, but kids do need you to be up front and center to help guide them, teach them, and bring them through life. And that does require us repeating ourselves often with same lessons and concepts and, and those types of things. And also, uh, can I add, just for your consideration, discipline. And it's not about corporal mm. punishment. It's about <laughs> guidance, isn't it? Sure thing. Yes, it's uh, definitely about guidance, but I'm going to also add in there the routine of guidance is what discipline actually is. Just like we would be disciplined to wake up every morning at 5 a.m. and do our our workout or, or get on that treadmill. You know, it's the act of being disciplined with your exercise. It's the act of being disciplined with the guidance and connection we provide our children. And that's really the key. Instead of us thinking, well, timeouts, go to your room, take away privileges, those keep us disconnected or right. further disconnect us. All right, Julie, I have to leave it there because uh, I'm fresh out of time. I'm always grateful for yours uh, because it always matters when we have a chat, no matter how long. Happy Aww. family to happy family day to you and your little guy. And uh, I look forward to the opportunity to another conversation when we can open up the phone lines and get a few moms and dads involved too. Absolutely, me as well. Have a good weekend yourself and uh, your family. There's misbehavior, and that's the website for Julie Romanowski as well, friends. Misbehavior.ca.